1: Abner Maris is a world champion boxer, Olympian sports commentator, and most importantly, dad to two little girls. Beloved by Abulas and hardcore fans alike, Abner is a pro at entertaining the world both in and out of the ring. On Blue Wire's new podcast, On the Hook with Abner Maris, we'll hear from Abner, his family, fellow athletes, and other people who made him the boxer and the man he is. They'll talk about topics like the state of boxing and Abner's journey from a kid on the streets to boxing champion. Listen to On the Hook with Abner Maris wherever you get your podcasts. Episode in English out on Tuesday. Episodes in Spanish out on Wednesday.
0: Listen up. All you ever for is an opportunity. You got it today. Where else would you rather be than right here right now?
1: The Rock Pile Report. With Buffalo Bills season ticket holder, Drew Gear. Be
2: aggressive. You have literally nothing to lose. You're a borderline football team. If I don't keep laughing about this stuff, my teeth are gonna turn around and devour my brain. The
3: Bills make me wanna. Yeah. Oh.
4: Well, you know, I think the mood after the game is what you expect it to be after a loss. Um, that's a good football team to give the Chiefs credit. Um, you know, we, I don't think when you look at our quality of play, but there were moments where we played up to our, up to our standard, and there were uh, certainly enough moments where we didn't. And that's what we have to be truthful with when we look at, our, when we look at the film. Um, you yeah, know, we did get off to a good start offensively, uh, three and out, missed a couple uh, there, I think we had and some missed throws, um, so we got to get up to a better start this two weeks in a row. Um, and, and so that that uh, you know, I think affected our, our rhythm offensively, I would say, uh, in the first half. Listen, this is an explosive uh, explosive offense we're against so you got to pick your poison a little bit. And, and I know the numbers statistically uh, are, are are good, you know, when we look at our defense against our offense, but uh, you got to pick your pick your poison here in terms of how you. How you want to about a Welcome everybody
2: to another edition of the Rockpower Report Podcast. I am your host, back again doing the intro. Your host, Drew Gear. That's my producer Chris Krueger, and that was Sean McDermott from his press conference after last night's matchup with the Kansas City
1: Chiefs. I'm a little worried about doing the podcast right now because we're not even 24 hours after the game. And you know the general general rule is. <laughs> forty eight hours, but
2: oh, you watched the game with me last night, Chris. Last night would have been a repeat if you had brought microphones into my home, it would have been a repeat of the London Jacksonville Jaguars game, you know thirty minutes of recording that you could you I think you harvested one and a half of usable audio out of that,
1: yes, except this time except this time, you had a child involved. <laughs>
2: oh folks we have a packed show for you tonight mr Greg Thompson from cover 1.net is going to join us to help recap the chiefs matchup we've got uh, jets talk we've got all kinds of things coming your way but first I want to start the show off with a uh, on a personal note folks this show started I was approached by Chris Chris came to me and said hey we should do a podcast when I first met him and that was when I was dating my ex-girlfriend before I knew my wife at all and he was still he had yet to be married To his then girlfriend, friend of my ex-wives, my ex-girlfriends, which is why we became friends. That's how this relationship was established. And then you got divorced. Yes. And then I watched you, like it was almost like when you plant a flower and you watch it grow. I went. I watched Chris go from the guy who started app dating and internet dating and online dating. And used to have to have me start his conversations. And then like a father pushing a, a toddler on a, <laughs> on a bike with no training wheels for the first time, I'd watch and see how many interactions Chris could get with these women before he inevitably just cratered the conversation and ran it aground because he his sparkling personality, his lack of ability to talk to people, just just watching him stumble his way through dating in general.
1: Yep. I do have the emotional range of Terry Schiavo. <laughs> so with that in mind...
2: Chris recently got himself a girlfriend, for which I owe a twelve pack of Seagrams, because I never thought I oh, would yeah. see the
1: day. You, you are, you have uh, one down so far. I have one down, and you have this. this so this is your eleventh, or your, your second hand of Seagram's twelve.
2: Escape wild berries, and I wanted to start the show. Chris announced that he dropped the L word this weekend.
1: I know it was weird.
2: What, what is it like to be the guy who's? Just think about where you've come from, Chris. Why don't you tell the listeners this, what this growth process has been like? Well, I take my medicine in the form of this wild berries, diabetes-inducing nonsense.
1: All right. Well, I had no idea that this was going to be discussed on the show, my love life. But, you know, it is what it is. metal lady unhinge, Nonstop text. Well, I think we've sent over 12,000 text messages since July. So she is quite the peach. She did leave me... Beautiful. She did leave me, uh, I guess, cookie bars at my front door today when I got home. I assumed they were things for the people upstairs. And I get it, and it has my name on it. I'm like, oh, my God, what is this? Is this is this all my stuff? <laughs> it's a box,
2: and you just assume the worst. Yes,
1: I just, yeah. And then I open it up. Oh, it's cookies.
2: <laughs> Chris has found love. I never thought I would see the day. I'm happy for you. Just now. like
1: I never... Thought I'd see you get married. Yeah, right? Yeah. I mean Look at I, us
2: growing over the course of a podcast. I
1: was <laughs> I was in your wedding and even at the altar I assumed she was gonna leave at some point.
2: <laughs> Chris, I couldn't be happier for you. Cheers, brother. And with that, let's let's just enough stalling, let's launch right into this thing. Our week six recap. Kansas City Chiefs 26, the Buffalo Bills 17. It starts with our stats of the game. Josh Allen, 14 of 27, good for 51%, 122 yards, two touches, one interception, and a 73.4 rating. Patrick Mahomes, 21 of 26, good for 80% completion, 225, two touchdowns, zero interceptions, a 128.4 rating. Josh Allen, 8 carries, 42 yards, 5.25 yards per carry. Bills running backs, 15 carries, 42 yards, 2.8 yards per carry. Kansas City running backs, 46 carries, 245 yards, 5.3 yards per touch. Stephon Diggs, a team-high eight targets, six catches for 46 yards, and one Pro Bowl caliber touchdown. Patrick Mahomes, 10 of 14 with one touchdown on passes less than, completed less than 10 yards through the air downfield. And too much. That's the amount of Arby's fast food consumed in my home last night.
1: Oh yeah, Mark with a C, pulling through.
2: <sighs> Folks, yesterday's game sucked from a timing perspective. It d- did for me, I'm sure it did for most of you. Chris, you it was one of the first things you said to me when you walked through the door of my house.
1: Yeah, even last week was weird. Tuesday night, coming over to watch football, and then a Monday night at 5. At 5 o'clock?
2: 5 o'clock, it felt weird. Even though I had the basement set up, I had food ready, we, You know, I did a 9-pound pork shoulder in the crock pot, it didn't feel like I should be watching football. And it just was awkward. And that's how the Bills started the game. I mean, it sucked watching that game play out. So much so that friend of the show, Mark with a C, decided to have Arby's door to my house in the middle of the game. I don't know what he hoped to accomplish with that other than to upset me.
1: Well, no, it was, we did score a touchdown. So he said, if we're scoring on this drive, I'm getting Arby's. That's what he said.
2: (laughs) Is that why there's Arby's?
1: Yeah, that's why we had Arby's. Jamocha Jamocha shakes, curly fries, beef and cheddars.
2: Folks, I avoid fast food like the plague. If If I'm out and about and I'm hungry and I don't have any food in my vehicle and fast food is the only option, I just won't eat. I will literally go a whole day without food if that's the only thing, and I'll wait till I get home. That's how much I hate, not just the taste and the texture, but I hate the way that I feel after I eat it.
1: You know what we do need is if anybody out there that listens to this show is a... works in the construction field, if they can build you a brand new glove compartment, and it's like a cooler, and you just open it, and there's uh, green peppers in there... (laughs) Just chilled, just chilled peppers and um, vegetables that you could eat like apples. That is a thing line. But then, when the ge- Chris,
2: when the game was over, this is the worst part about the game being at five o'clock. When it's over, I'm obviously in a poor mood. I think I, I think I cursed you all out of the house.
1: Oh yeah, I left immediately after that Josh Allen interception.
2: <laughs> I had literal hours to kill before I could pass out. So despite having made a, a spread of food, I sat down and drowned my post-game sorrows in an Arby's beef and cheddar and a Jamoca shake chock full of whiskey. Something that internally I regret to this very moment. I feel like garbage. I mean, folks, Arby's is horrible. You can't convince me that
1: that's not horse meat. Yeah, it is bad.
2: I don't care. If Blue Wire ever gets them as a sponsor, I'll refuse to do it.
1: All right, well, then I'll read the ad like I always do.
2: Oh, no, no, no. The ad will not be played. I will pay them to not have to do it. Let's all just raise a glass to the fact that that game is over. Okay? Cheers. Cheers. For as close as the game was on the scoreboard, did anybody out there actually feel like it was a close game? You couldn't have. I mean... It just felt close on the scoreboard. You know my pessimism. Angry Drew made his first appearance of the 2020 football season. Yes, while holding a child. Full of outlandish statements, a few choice rants, some uh, over-the-top wishings of ill will.
1: (laughs) It had it all. I mean, one stood out. I mean, I don't think I can say it legally on, on air.
2: I don't think you can either. And here's the best part. It was refreshing. It was, it was refreshing to know that that animosity is still rattling around in here. That I still have it. I haven't lost a step just because I've gotten older and had a baby. Got the blood pumping.
1: Yeah, it's like Mike Tyson knocking out Zach Alfinakis in <laughs> Hangover. He's still got it. <laughs> Even though he's a father now.
2: Yeah, the Bills got beat up on the ground badly. Our quarterback got outclassed badly. And ultimately, we lost a game that while not looking like we lost badly, it sure as hell feels like we did. I mean, here's some simple observations. First of all, notable lack of holding calls, both on, on both teams, really, when well, you yeah, think about it.
1: that's holdings down across the board in the NFL.
2: Okay, and would you agree with me that that almost seemed to benefit Buffalo more than, I mean, obviously, it complicated some of our completion attempts, but I feel like that them not calling holding might be one of the only reasons that they didn't just air the ball out on us in that game.
1: Yeah, I did see a, c- a couple of other penalties.
2: <laughs> we definitely got away with a couple there. And I mean, we actually won the penalty battle. I mean, the defensive backs for the Chiefs were doing everything they could. to ho- They had to hold Stefan Diggs. Otherwise, he would have been open most of the game.
1: Yeah.
2: That's literally the only way they could slow him down. And yet, despite the close score, they doubled this up in pretty much every category. Passing yards, total yards... Third down conversions, time of possession, tight ends who looked competent in the NFL, offensive tackles who look like they can play football. The weight of our head coaches. (laughs) They had it all, regardless of what the scoreboard tells us. And one of the most frustrating things was that the opportunities were there. But unlike the first month of the season, we couldn't capitalize on any of them. The long touchdown pass to Diggs, off the fingertips. A month ago, he'd be making that catch. Off-the-mark passes to open running backs and slot-wide receivers. Penalties on third down that just kills drives. an inability to get off the field on third down on defense. Look at this. Here's what I looked at, Chris. The first thing that jumped out when I saw how good they were on third down. They, they went 9 of 14 on the day. Of their 14 third-down conversion attempts, eight of them Kansas City needed less than five yards in order to convert. We only stopped them on three of those eight circumstances, and really only twice if you count them going for it on fourth and inches. That team is too talented and has too many weapons to allow them to set up for short yardage situations. Who are you going to... Who would you go to, Chris? If you thought, who am I going to try to stop when the Chiefs have three yards to go?
1: You got Clyde Edwards-Hilaire you need to stop, Mahomes can run, tyree Clyde edwards was
2: averaging nine yards per carry at one point yeah that's absurd.
1: yeah he was getting to the he was getting to the second level easy without being touched
2: it was just it was Keystone cops it was Benny Hill when it came to our run defense last night and it was demoralizing to sit on the couch and watch that I, and unfortunately the ripple effect is you can't stop them on third down when you when you allow them to open up their playbook because if you try to sell out to stop the run, they'll hit you with Travis Kelsey. Or they'll throw to a running back in the flat. Or they'll throw to a tight end, another tight end, short yardage, while your attention's on Kelsey. There's too much. There's just too much there. And, I mean, Josh Norman. Josh Norman might have had not as... Would you say it was just as ugly of a game as he had last week? Well, he, he rebounded slightly.
1: He did have that fumble recovery.
2: He had the fumble recovery. But how many times? I mean, Chris, I think I made the I made note of it probably... Early, eh, early third quarter.
1: You didn't like anything we were doing. Offensively, defensively, coaching special teams. I hated all, all, it. It. Hate all of it.
2: I hated all of it. I asked the question, why aren't our wide receivers ever just standing there waving at our quarterback wide open the way that the Chiefs wide receivers are? The amount of separation that they got from our secondary is just astounding. And unfortunately, with a team like that, they leave you with too much to try to defend. You can't afford to play soft. Meanwhile, on the flip side of things, when you look at what the Chiefs defense did, you consistently saw them lining up playing man coverage. Consistently playing man coverage. Fighting our wide receivers at the line of scrimmage, making them try to fight for separation, while also shading over the top of uh, over the top of Diggs and Brown with safety help. They, our wide receivers had fits. Trying to get there, and ultimately Josh Allen had his ugliest game of the season. That reminded a lot of people. of two- I saw people talking about 2018 Josh Allen being back. Yeah, I mean, he's for, for all the all the blame you want to try to pass on the rest of the team. His accuracy was scatter for the night. Now, there's a lot of a lot of meat in the bone for this conversation as far as what happened last night. But to be honest, there was no way in hell I was rewatching that game today. So I brought in a guest to help us break all of this down with a little more nuance and a little more understanding than I currently have because to me, it was just a out and out debacle. And so with that, I'm not a very learned man. I'm an emotional being and I couldn't rewatch that game, but we bring you tonight's guest to help us meander through help <laughs> make sense of this nonsense. Mr. Greg Thompson of the Cover One,
3: uh, Cover One podcast. How are you tonight, sir? Good evening, guys. Good evening. Yeah, I'm uh, I'm similarly scarred and hurt. Uh, not not ready to dive back in, but I'm uh, diving into the All-22 tonight to just be a glutton for punishment. God,
2: you're a braver man than me. I had all day. I took today off as I do all primetime games, and I sat there and I said to myself, You know, Drew, you could prep for the show and rewatch that game, and I couldn't do it. I couldn't bring myself to I, I opened up Game Pass, and I just couldn't do it. So instead, I watched Blade Runner 2049, which sucked but it was okay. <laughs> it's, in it's fact, a, it was a visual experience. It was a visual experience that somehow still wasn't as offensive as rewatching that Bills game. For those of you who don't know, if you've been living under a rock, Greg is the one of two hosts of the Cover One Bills podcast. If you go over to One.net, Eric Turner has some great breakdowns from last night's game that are short. They're palatable, especially for someone like me, who still has a lot of animosity towards how this all played out. I want to ask you some questions because you're a much more pragmatic person than me. And I just want your honest opinion of them. The first one that jumps out to me. Something that all Bills fans have walked away from, not just in this game, but I think last night's game was kind of the breaking point for a lot of people. The Tremaine-Edmonds conundrum. Last night one of the most demoralizing storylines in a full month of them for Buffalo was watching captain of the defense Tremaine Edmonds just continue his descent into linebacker hell. He lost Kelsey in coverage for a touchdown pass. He lost gap integrity and a lot of rushing touchdown. It seems like he's fighting the game of football altogether right now.
3: There's a lot of things going on. So I I don't know, you know, some of the excuses you've seen thrown out there, you know, that he's gutting through an injury or whatever it might be. I I don't doubt that that may be a factor, that that there may be a piece of that out there. I also am open to the idea that – you, similarly, when you saw Deion Dawkins' strong rookie year and then his second year after he lost you know both Richie Incognito and Eric Wood, that he then looked worse, having worse players next to him. I do think that there's a, a synergy idea that Tremaine Edmonds is better when he has someone like Matt Milano next to him. But besides any of that, I have no explanation for it. It, it is simply, I, I think that, Maybe we raised our expectations higher than they should have been. I was certainly amongst the group that was expecting a material, you know, hell, I, I was involved in discussions of is he a potential sleeper defensive player of the year candidate because we were simply expecting a huge step forward. So I think there's multiple factors of why he's not and some things where. He's not having blockers kept off of him by the defensive line. He's playing with lesser talent next to him. He's certainly not getting any help from the secondary behind him. There's a lot of shortcomings on the defense. I think he's probably the biggest one right now just because of what we expected for it. So the the biggest play that frustrated me yesterday was that fourth and in inches where the defensive line actually made one of the few positive plays of the game. Quentin Jefferson penetrated. Justin Zimmer had another flash. And he sat there, hesitated, fell for the false read, filled the wrong hole, and Daryl Williams ran for a touchdown through the space where he should have been making a tackle for a loss and a game-changing play to get the ball back within a score. Um, there were plenty of other plays that weren't terrible like that one, but it's just hard for me to unsee that.
2: <sighs> it's acid in the face. I mean, this is... <laughs> <laughs> or seeing you shirtless. <laughs> yes, it's similar to that. It's similar to watching me parade around shirtless. I mean, that's how scarring some of this is. Because you see it and you go, "I, you used to be a good football player. I watched you play good football. Where did that guy go? What, what, who is this doppelganger who uh, doesn't understand some of the basic tenets of playing linebacker? <clears throat>
3: it's ultimately fr- frustrating everybody. That, that opportunity there is the one glimmer of hope that Bills fans should cling to is that it is reasonable to think they could get back to that. The same coaches are there. The same personnel is there. I don't know that any player on the entire defense is playing as well as they did previously, either with the Bills or prior to signing with the Bills. And the fact that we've seen that performance means that it's also possible to recapture. Well, and then, so here's a question. You said it.
2: Are the problems that are plaguing this team correctable? And if so, which ones? I mean, Simply put, this team is sloppy in every phase of the game. When you look at it, we seem to have lost our identity, our offensive line generating absolutely no push. Our running back statistics speak to that. The defensive line generating no pressure, failing to maintain integrity at the point of attack, exposing our linebackers too often, something you just mentioned. I see it. I see offensive linemen reaching the second level consistently. I see holes being opened up in our defensive line. And our linebackers having to make split-second decisions when there's, to your point, there's especially when you're facing a team with a complex offense or just good play callers, there are false flags being thrown out there. There's things that the offense will show you to try to confuse your linebackers. And we're falling for it. A lot we're falling for it. And I think the effect of that defensive line failing to just win up front has our linebackers sort of flat-footed, rather than just coming downhill with confidence and making plays? And you see them. I, I likened Tremaine Edmonds to Paul Posluszny the other day because I said he's great at racking up tackles five yards downfield. He's drag tackling instead of the Preston meeting, Brown special. Yes, instead of meeting ball carriers at the line of scrimmage, he's now just reacting as they're running past him, which is isn't ideal for anybody. And when I look at the defensive line, I see a ton of penetration, but no actual pressure or sacks, and it leads to big plays. I mean, the biggest thing I can say is, on third and 13 last night, the Byron Pringle catch, Mm -hmm. Mahomes had 5.89 seconds from snap to pass. That's absurd. That is absurd for a team that spent the money we spent on this defensive line.
3: (sighs) That play specifically is an example of... I'm going to say the individualistic approach that I'm, I'm seeing on the defensive line. So Jerry Hughes is aware they haven't gotten to, um, you know, to Patrick Mahomes. I know that, you know, Mario Addison had a sack that I I think he probably was, he found Patrick Mahomes on his way to the ground while getting uh, pancaked and happened to catch him on the way down. And he's like, Oh look, I found a quarterback and got a sack. Um, (laughs) I'm pretty sure that's what happened on that play. i got to watch it again, but it looked like he was getting pancaked and then found Patrick Mahomes on his way to the ground and took him with him. Um, but because of that, you know Jerry Hughes has seen that they're not getting production. He's trying to make a play. So he's going through there. He's trying to figure things out. On that third and 13, they ran a stunt. He went inside. Nobody was there. So when he went inside and you don't get home – Then you open it up. Now, if he gets there and gets the sack, everybody's praising him because he does it. So I understand he's trying to make a play. But the area that was vacated is where Mahomes scrambled to. And not only – scrambled isn't even the right term. He rolled out to it and then had time to wait, hesitate, let the – force Jordan Poyer to choose between Kels and Pringle. He came up to take away Kels. Then Pringle opened up back behind him and all of a sudden now you get a big play because nobody was there. If Jerry Hughes was still there, Mahomes wouldn't have had time to do that. He wasn't going to be able to run for the first down and and, and uh, escape everybody for 13 yards, but he got to run up to the line of scrimmage and then hesitate, and if there is a guy there maintaining contained, you eliminate that and you're able to keep him funneled in. So it, that kind of thing is happening where they're either not – able to flow well together not running the stunts well together not able to get there in that I understand and I know the stats behind a a quarterback who's being pressured versus a quarterback who's clean so I get it that a pressure is better than not getting pressure but all of these numbers that, hey, we're getting pressure. We're just not getting sacks. At some point, you have to convert. You have to get home. You have to take the quarterback down. And there's just no more room for moral victories.
1: Let's not uh, forget to mention that 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 play should have never happened because – Ineligible offensive entire line downfield. Yeah,
3: three of them down. <laughs> Eric laid it out perfectly in his feed. Three linemen downfield. One of them seven yards downfield. Because you want to know why? They thought Mahomes was running two. The reason that rule exists is that defenders should not be forced to choose between a run play and a pass play, and you have you have to choose to do one or the other. All the linemen went downfield because they thought Mahomes was running two, and they had three <laughs> illegal downfield blockers. Yeah. <sighs>
2: It's So what you're saying is this just sounds like this line has had no time to really gel in live action, which makes sense considering the lack of a preseason. I mean, we're watching Ed Oliver regressing to a point where his only highlight is him being applauded for running quickly in pursuit of a running back 10 yards downfield. And we watched a Chiefs' seventh-round pick look like a star, which was repeatedly pointed out by the announcers, both run, pass, pro... This is a kid in Nick Eligretti who came in for the injured Mitch Morse, or at least they slid Eric Fisher over yeah. to left tackle and put Eligretti in at right tackle when yeah, that's Moore, right when he when when uh, Mitchell Schwartz went out. There you go. That's a kid that thirty-two teams said, nah, not for me. <laughs> Going up against a highly paid defensive line and winning repeatedly—is this something that you see over time being correctable?
3: So, yeah, it's because we've seen the previous performance. So I don't think all of a sudden everyone got bad. Um, I also think Ed Oliver, I think Chris Topasso put out some pretty good numbers breaking down the film that I haven't had a chance to yet. He said he saw Oliver was double teamed 20 times last night. Um, So obviously he was a key focus of the Chiefs. Uh, for for the game that he played. So he was applauding the game that Oliver had. I, I know that it's hard to see that in the midst of the game. He did not make any splash plays. He did not make any big plays. So I, I haven't had a chance to, to be able to see why. But I think that we've seen the same way. The, his second half of last year was very encouraging. Even the first two games of this year before the knee injury, there was some some bigger plays. He had the big fourth down stop with the Raiders. I think there's reason for him to be encouraged there. But on the defense as a whole, everyone is going after, you know, who should we trade for? Who should we sign <laughs> from a free agency standpoint? Should we bring back Marcel Darius? That was one of my favorites. Dog, um, that was
2: Chris. Two weeks ago, Chris brought that up. And I said, he is <laughs> literally wearing a captain's hat, stoned to the bone on a dock somewhere, thinking he's on a
3: boat. Yeah. Yes, in Jacksonville. The that anyone thinks that man is still in football shape is hysterical. Um, <laughs> but he, either way, Everyone searching for those things, there is no single player that we can either afford in contract or draft compensation that's as good as the player Tremaine Edmonds is supposed to be. The player that Trey White is supposed to be. The player that Ed Oliver is supposed to be. We need those guys to play to the level that we've seen. Not even the level that we're hoping for. We watched Tremaine Edmonds play Pro Bowl football last year. We watched Ed Oliver play. We watched Trey White play elite all-pro level football. We just need them to do that again
2: so then what kind of feeds into that coaching scheme and plan of attack on either side of the ball I've been highly critical of what of our game plan the last two weeks and even into the Raiders game that's where it really started for me because I'm watching a team that just seems incredibly passive it started in defense for the Raiders game where I'm watching Josh Norman in off coverage and I'm thinking to myself he's not great He's not here, ha- he comes in, he did well enough against a team with no real wide receiving talent on the field. But you saw it against AJ Brown. You saw without Trey White and Josh Norman is your de facto number one cornerback, he had a hell of a time. And then last night, watching him four or five yards off his man to the point where his receiver can usually just run a comeback route and turn around and wave at the quarterback to get to get the ball there's something broken about the scheme that we're trying to deploy on that side of the ball. And there is something clearly on the offensive side of things that is also kind of just completely flatlined from where we were just a week or two ago. Do you think that that can be adjusted or is this something, is this just simply time catching up with the Buffalo
3: Bills? So I'll challenge a little bit of, I think, the way that you've approached it in that I'll ask what were your immediate emotions when Justin Zimmer stripped uh, Clyde edwards oh, oh,
4: oh, oh, oh. Yeah. oh, Chris laughs
1: because yeah. you know it.
3: That would that would be have been
1: that. Well, honestly, that would have for Drew. That would have been the rest of the Smirnoff that was there because pregame you didn't like that he was starting over over Trent and Harrison Phillips. And then you were just hating on Edmonds all game. And then the fact that that almost happened, Zimmer, Strip, Edmonds Well, I called it a non-fumble.
2: I just said that's not a fumble. It's a non-zero chance. And even if it is, they're not going to give it to us. And when it didn't happen, everyone else in the room went, you could tell like some of the air came out of the room. But except for me, because I was so negative at that point. Like I had gone over, like I was already, I would already crossed over to the dark side. Angry Drew had already crossed over to the dark side. I was making just... Foul threats towards people. I was wishing awful things
3: on everyone. While
1: holding a baby. While
3: holding a baby. (laughs) So at that point, they would have had the ball at the 30-yard line going in, down six points, in a game where Patrick Mahomes had his fewest passing yards of the year and Tyreek Hill had three catches for 20 yards. That was intentional. It was intentional. Like what they – now – Uh, is it fair to question that did you really expect AJ Klein and Tremaine Edmonds to come up and make tackles versus, but when the alternative is you can either constantly tempt them to audible into run plays when you give them a five and six man box or trust someone to cover Tyreek Hill deep. I believe your alternative was the more aggressive, penetrating blitzing running downhill tackling defense would have gave up 47 points not 26. I and think I, that what they what we saw last night was the better gameplay. But
2: I don't, but it's still a loss. So whether you lost and McDermott, I challenge this and I have a bone to pick with it later on in tonight's show. The fact that he brought it up in his post game talking about the points we lost by and that it could have been worse. I don't care. Okay? I don't care. I'm a fan. <laughs> You are more of an analyst than me, sir. You're pragmatic. You recently (laughs) grew a goatee and a chin strap, which (laughs) I find hilarious because you look like the coach from Letterkenny. You look like the hockey coach. (laughs) But with that said, you are a much more pragmatic person than me. So you have the ability to sit here and talk about, well, they did this and it worked and it worked enough and the points. I get that. As a fan, as a rabid fan, I don't give a damn. I don't give a damn about any of that.
3: So, but his job is to give the team a chance to win I against know. a team that no one had held below 30 points mm-hmm. and that their best chance to do. Now, the defensive game plan wasn't based on, oh, Josh Allen is going to have his worst game of the season. So if Josh Allen just has one of his normal games and they held the team to 26 points, they win that game. <laughs> if, if any of Josh Allen's other five games are played last night, any of them, they win that game. Well, and I guess So the game plan would have worked.
2: Well, and I guess that's my last question, because I'm looking at Josh Allen's accuracy and his decision-making last night. And I have to ask the question, we watched him shrink a little bit against the Titans. We watched it happen. And then we watched him shrink a little bit farther uh, with John Brown on the field. Now he doesn't have the excuse of, I don't have my number two wide receiver. You have all your your full complement of playmakers available to you. And against a bad defensive football team, you took another step back. Is this something that's correctable over the course of the next few weeks?
3: So, I I mean, I think there's a lot more reason to assume that that's an anomaly than with the defensive players because we've seen the performance more recently. Mm -hmm. So, so far Mm -hmm. this year, we've now seen four exceptional games, one average game and one bad game from Josh Allen out of six games. So we've seen four where he was legitimately at an MVP level, one where he was average against Tennessee, and then one where he was bad against Kansas city. So I would say there's, Logical reason to assume that we'll see more of that going forward. I think early on, the conditions were a factor. You know, the ball slipping out of his hand, him overthrowing some things. Then I think as the game went on, he was then pressing. He was trying to be able to do too much. Um, We didn't see some of the crazy hero ball Josh stuff forcing balls into places um, but you could tell that he was in his head and missing throws uh he there were several that he had and then had a couple where when it wasn't his fault and the majority were more of them were on him than on the receivers he also had two touchdowns that went off players hands you know they would have been impressive catches but if Stefan Diggs catches that ball, in the end zone when he hit him in the hands in the end zone and the deep ball, to John Brown, they also hit him in the hands. Those would have been great plays. Those would have been really helpful if, if they came up with those plays. They would have been impressive, but they would have been nice.
2: <laughs> so you're talking about how most of the things, it sounds like you're trying to convince me is I'm wallowing over here in Moosehead, just, <laughs> just being a real curmudgeon about all of this. That a lot of these things that we saw last night are not permanent fixtures of who this team is not to the degree that like the New York Jets are bad on offense and that's just a stamp that will exist on this team for the entire season it sounds like you're trying to tell me that there is enough hope to believe that against other highly competitive football teams we're not going to see a repeat of this or at least that this team has the
3: ability to improve yeah very much so very much so I mean don't get me wrong. I'm concerned about the last two weeks. There were unacceptable performances. They were infuriating to be able to watch. But You in ate that mashed moment, potatoes at like 11 o'clock at night. Because oh, I, it was a bad night. It was a bad <laughs> night. Um, but I will say in that moment where you had crossed over the dark side, I'm going to say most, most other fans – In real time, when Justin Zimmer stripped him there and they had the ball at the 30 and we're going to be able to go in down 23-17, my exact words were, oh, my God, we're going to steal this game we don't deserve. And if they do that, just like you said, as a fan, whether we deserved it or not, nobody would have cared. Nobody would have cared that it was a horrible game and that we didn't deserve that win. All anyone would have been doing was – One, building a statue of Justin Zimmer, who is now going to be the new Brandon Riley, and he is the new Duke Williams for this year, so brace yourself. There is now going to be a Justin Zimmer fan club. Um, People would have been building a statue of the man, and everyone would have been parading around being like, oh, look, we beat the Chiefs, because regardless of how ugly that game was, that's where it was, late in the fourth quarter. They had the ball at the 30-yard line going in within a score, and they were going to steal it. Well, at some point, McDermott and company have to come away with one of these. They do. I appreciate
2: you joining us tonight. To provide a little bit of pragmatic explanation for this because (laughs) I was just, I was guns blazing. I ate Arby's for the first time and we figured out it had to be (laughs) 10 years last night.
3: That's a low point. Someone had it
2: door dashed to my house and I'm sitting alone in my basement drinking a Jamocha shake full of whiskey. I've got an Arby's beef and cheddar in one hand a bottle of Tabasco in the other, and just, I'm covered with shame. Just shame, (laughs) self-hate.
1: Yeah. Well, Greg, did you at least enjoy the
3: new Drew Gifts? I did. They were really (laughs) impressive. You've really stepped your game up in capturing the essence of of the emotions and the responses. It's really special. (laughs) It's something something to behold.
2: Greg, someone tweeted at us that they would pay for an OnlyFans, that they would pay... (laughs) for a subscription to an OnlyFans between 3 and $5 a month to get to watch me watch every game of football.
3: I, and the only way that I can tell, because there will be people, not listeners to your show, because I think listeners to your show have, have grown to, to really grasp the full you know flavor of what is Drew. But I think many people on Twitter are going to have the first experience I had with you. And they're going to assume it's a shtick that can't be real. He's gotta be putting it on for the recording and that Drew's capturing it and it's probably taking three or four takes and they're trying to get an over the top reaction. And all I can tell everyone is it's real and it's magnificent. <laughs> <laughs>
2: Greg, we appreciate your time, sir. Why don't you tell everybody what you have a little bit about what you got going on over there at Cover One this week and where they can follow you on social?
3: You guys can come find me at Greg Thompson on Twitter uh, over at uh, cover one. We're still trying to maintain some semblance of sanity. Uh, Aaron, Aaron and I did do a post-game show to try to talk everybody off the ledge. It was tough. And uh, honestly, those shows to do in real time moments after the game, after a tough loss, are by far the hardest part we, of what we do.
2: Greg, we talked about it. I, I listened to some of your show last night and I just kept thinking to myself as I'm taking a leak and I'm holding my phone, I'm going, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how neither one of these guys. Like I would I would be fi- I'd be throwing things I, because you're doing it on camera. People can mm-hmm. see you. You're doing it in real time. I would be, first of all, Chris recorded me. We talked about it earlier in the show. He recorded me after the London loss to the Jaguars. He thought we could do oh. a podcast immediately afterwards. 40 minutes of audio turned into a 1 minute and like 30 second soundbite because that's all <laughs> that was usable.
3: That's it. It, it's so Aaron and I have both kind of conditioned ourselves to take notes and we have an infrastructure that we track things during the show so during the game so that when we go to the show we have bullet points to go to and things to go to so it's not just pure stream of consciousness but it's tough the losses are tough there's no way around it so we did that last night Um, we are going to be right back at it tomorrow night and honest to god there is not a more get right opponent than the 2020 New York Jets so we are going to be previewing that game tomorrow and we'll be doing the same thing I am very happy to see three straight 1 p.m. Sunday games coming up here I'm a creature of habit and I hate prime time so I I'm excited to get back into that rhythm of, you know, Wednesday nights at 9 o'clock, Sunday afternoons at 4.30. We'll be there for you the next three games. Uh, Come and check us out.
1: All right, you can go follow Greg Tomset on Twitter, at Greg Tomset, host of Cover One Buffalo, the podcast.
2: Chris, we got to name somebody. In this disaster, somebody has to be the hero of the game. This week, that award goes to Stephon Diggs.
3: Here's the deal. I'm the best there is, plain and simple. I mean, I wake up in the morning, I piss excellence. And nobody can hang with my stuff. Uh, You know, I'm just just a big, hairy, American winning machine. Whenever we
2: needed a play, Stephon Diggs was either there or was trying to make it. I don't know that anyone else on the roster, including our quarterback, really stepped up their play in those big moments. Would you agree with me on that? Yeah. Okay. And that touchdown he caught. Tell me that wasn't... The play of the game for the Bills on offense.
1: That is exactly why we traded for Stephon Diggs, to be able to make catches like that.
2: Right there, to me, he's one of the only people who showed up last night and consistently for four quarters did his job. That's it. Yes, he was interfered with a bunch. Yes, he. the fact that he had 49 yards and a touchdown and could have had another one, maybe even could have could have dictated the outcome of the game. If he hauls that one in, and he's also not being interfered with. He was the only thing that gave us hope on offense. That something could work out, go our way. That a third down could get picked up. That a big play could be made. And for that, you gotta love the guy. Not only that, but then after the game, he was walking around, dapping everybody up. Talking to guys on the sidelines as the clock's winding down to zero. Telling guys to keep... You can see him mouthing the words, keep your head up. Keep your head up doing the... What happened to this toxic personality that we were supposed to be bringing in here?
1: Yeah, sounds like a horrible teammate.
2: I know, right? Man, I bet you the Vikings are really happy they got rid of him. All right, I have to crack a fresh beer for this one, Chris. This week's zero, head coach Sean McDermott.
4: You folks fell on your face. You get an F minus in my book.
2: What did I say last week? When everything fails, you have to point it to the man in charge. And right now, McDermott, and to a degree, Brandon Bean, bear the criticism for what we've seen here. We have a team whose game plans haven't been cohesive enough to beat a pair of the NFL's better teams. A team whose roster was supposedly the deepest of any Bills roster we've seen. And they've all just backslid to the basements of their talent levels, from quarterback to offensive line to linebacker to defensive line. As you heard in the intro, Sean McDermott still seems to be trying to find a silver lining, which I understand. I, he, it's not his style to be fire and brimstone. He's more likely to come out and try to put you to sleep at the podium than he is to come out and give you any real emotion. And he keeps overusing the, the term pick your poison. Have you noticed that?
1: Uh, yeah, why he said it twice.
2: The, twice, but he said it before in other games where we've lost. That seems to be one of his crutches. I'm interested to see if anybody out there has a, could get a count on just how many times he's used that phrase multiple times in a press conference. What are your thoughts on what what we heard in the intro to the show? Him just tr- talking about how, well, wow, this team, they do this well, they do that well.
1: I, I don't even know what to make of that. Well, I mean, they have a running game and they have a passing game now. So I get it. Pick your poison. Does Clyde Edwards-Hilaire has been great for a rookie this season. But isn't it the nature of all good football teams?
2: Don't all good football teams do a lot of things well?
1: Not necessarily.
2: Don't all Super Bowl winning teams do most things pretty well.
1: Yeah, who was a running back last year in the Super Bowl? Because they really hadn't had a running game since Kareem Hunt did things that you shouldn't do in society.
2: (laughs) Their running game was still pretty good last year. It was good enough. And they had that uh, young running back who...
1: Damien Williams?
2: Damien Williams. Who... Opted out? Did well enough, but opted out this season. When he found out they drafted a running back in the first round, I think that kind of made up his mind for him. He was going to get cut if he didn't. So, that that bothers me. Talking about statistics being good, some of the stats were good, some of the things were not so good. I want to yell, Chris. I want to scream at the TV. When I hear these kinds of things coming out of our coach's mouth. And then there's this Bradley Gelber tweeted about it last night at 843. Sean McDermott said, you have to quote unquote pick your poison versus a team like the chiefs, whether you want to focus on the pass or run. He added that they were still in it in the end, as opposed to teams who got blown out versus Kansas city when the ball was flying over their heads. Is that supposed to make me feel better? Is that what that is? Is that a coach's attempt to try to make me feel better? Because, oh, we lost by a touchdown instead of two touchdowns. So, hey, at least we have that going for us. What the fuck? Am I supposed... To, what am I supposed to do with that as a fan?
1: How do Chew I, on it.
2: How do I respect that? Do you, as a fan of football, as a fan of this team, look at that and go... My coach is out here pointing out that, hey, at least we didn't lose by
1: more points.
2: <laughs> He's doing the two finger point at you like a, like a used car salesman. What, what, what are you talking about?
1: We had the last two weeks were against the AFC East championship game from last year. And to me, those are measuring stick games. And so far we are not measuring up to AFC championship level contention. So. Right. We got to get shit fixed.
2: But I'm just blown away by the fact that he would try to defend that and then try to tell us that we should feel better about it because, hey, at least we didn't lose by more. What? (laughs) What? Does it matter at that point? No, no, no. Sorry, you're right. You did keep it close on the scoreboard. You didn't get blown out on the scoreboard. You just got run over in time of possession and let a team run for almost 300 yards. But sure McDermott? Sure. Sure. It's great. It's great that they that, that you kept it within a touchdown. It's a golf clap. It's a golf clap. I think we should I think he deserves one from the whole gallery. As I said last week, McDermott is the only head coach in recent Bills history who has proved that he can step up to the plate and effect change when things go sideways. We've watched how many decades worth of coaches fumble their way through slides, not be able to right the ship. And McDermott has a history of doing so, but it's also worth noting that McDermott entered 2020 a ridiculous three and fifteen for his career against teams that go on to make the playoffs. Three and fifteen. Now, obviously, there's a lot. There's a lot of reasons for that: roster makeup, injuries, uh, the the quality of your assistant coaching and your coordinators.
1: Nathan Peterman,
2: <laughs> Rick Dennison, yeah. But the fact remains that if current trajectories hold for Kansas City and Tennessee, that number is going to grow to at least 3-17 for his first 20 games. At some point, McDermott's going to have to prove that he can hold his own when playing against other teams with good rosters. And more importantly, good quarterbacks and great head coaches. That's a thing most winning teams have. Good coaching, good quarterback play. McDermott, that seems to be his kryptonite, which tells you that maybe there's a problem here. Now, that may come off as... (laughs) This all may be coming off as hyperbole to some of you. But think about this. Mike Zimmer, the head coach for the Vikings, he was recently extended. He got a contract extension at the end of last season after they beat the uh, New Orleans Saints. They've started this season flat, and there's already rumors leaking to the press That the owners of the team regret signing him to this extension, and there's talk that he could be fired if they can't turn it around. In fact, the only reason it it turns out he got that extension was because he beat the Saints in the playoffs. If he hadn't done that, he would have been fired at the end of the year. Mike Zimmer has a better coaching record with the Vikings than McDermott has here in Buffalo. He's got more. What he's got an NFC Championship game appearance. Yep. He's got multiple playoff appearances. Mike Zimmer has done more for that franchise than McDermott has for the Buffalo Bills. And shortly after an extension, his ass is on the line. So if that's happening there, don't act like it can't happen here in Buffalo. I'm not saying it should. I know there's a lot of, again, there's a lot of hyperbole being thrown around on social media by angry Bills fans. I get it. The angst is real. But at some point, you have to take stock in the fact that... This is a problem and you do not want to see Sean McDermott start to be classified as the next incarnation of Marvin Lewis and the Cincinnati Bengals in their inability to beat winning football teams. We are not calling for anyone's job here today because that's lunacy, but they need to find a way to fix this fast. They need to get out in front of it. I mean, My final thoughts on this, the acrimony after this loss is compounded by our last loss. Would you agree with that? Yeah. Okay. And I'm right there with all of you. I'm frustrated. I want to throw things. I yell. I got most of it out of my system last night. But I'm still here and I'm still frustrated. Plays were there and we failed to capitalize to the outrage of Bills fans everywhere. It It leaves a terrible taste in your mouth. Even if it was a game against the reigning Super Bowl champs. As players and coaches, this team needs to take a deep breath and realize a few things. One... All of the Super Bowl talk, that's over. It's done. All of the MVP quarterback and potential head coach offensive coordinator. That's done. The talk we're done talking about that. All of the hype for this 2020 Bills team is over. It's done. What's left is reality. You're fifth in the AFC by one and you're first in the AFC East by a single game. You are a bubble team, albeit a well-positioned one. If you have any sort of killer instinct in you as players, as coaches, as men who play and work in the NFL, there needs to be an understanding in not just that locker room, but in the whole building, that it's time to find it because the margin for error for this football team gets thinner every single week. Losses like this will not end your season. You can't win a Super Bowl in a single week, and you sure as hell can't lose a Super Bowl in a single week. Your season doesn't end because you got beat by the Kansas City Chiefs. For me, for as cathartic as angry Drew was last night, the reality is I'm finally back to where I feel comfortable rooting for this football team. Because now the quote-unquote expectation of success has been slapped firmly out of my hands onto the floor. I, There is no expectation now of victory. We've been humbled. And now you're in a position where you actually have to go out there, and the cushion was nice, Chris, talking about a four, I oh, four, four and one, four and zero, oh, four and one. It's going to be fine. Now you're four and two. There's teams nipping at your heels. If it came down to a wild card race, you've got competition for it. It's going to be a fight, and these guys have to dig deep and start finding it. And that's it. That's what I got. This team has to learn how to fight. Because these last two games, they got walloped. And if they don't, they got punched in the mouth. And if they don't start punching back, this whole season could hit the skids pretty quick.
1: Even though sports had a break, your business didn't. You have to keep moving. And that makes hiring more important than ever. Indeed is here to help. Indeed.com is the number one job site in the world. Because Indeed gets you the best people Indeed is going to get you the important hire you need, just like they have for over 3 million businesses. Right now, Indeed is offering our listeners a free $75 credit to boost your job post, which means more quality candidates will see it fast. Try Indeed with our free $75 credit at Indeed.com blue BlueWire. This is their best offer available anywhere. Go right now to Indeed.com slash BlueWire. Terms and conditions apply. Offer valid through December 31st. Thanks to a lack of natural athleticism or commitment, or overbearing sports parents. Fewer than 1% of 1% of 1% of people will ever play professional football. But instead of entering the NFL, they've joined another league, the League of Football Watchers. This football season will be different, and Pepsi is here to get you ready for game day no matter how you watch. And that includes what I have to go through every single week. Watching with somebody who may or may not be shirtless, yelling obscenities, just being your average raging lunatic, and then I'll have to give him a Pepsi to calm down, because Pepsi is the refreshment you need to power through any game day, because Pepsi isn't made for those who play the game, it's made for those who watch it. Pepsi, made for football watching.
2: Well, Pepsi may be delicious, on this podcast, we drink Moosehead. Now, if there's anything that could take this sting off of a loss like last night's, it's some good old-fashioned fun at somebody else's expense, right? <laughs> and so, as per our brand, as the Pettiest Bills podcast, I give you People Who Have It Worse Than Bills Fans, Week 6 Edition. You are one pathetic loser. Well, first of all, quarterback Ryan Fitzpatrick is... <laughs> You, Chris, are more than familiar with the concept of being a guy who just can't seem to catch a break.
1: A hundred percent of the time.
2: <laughs> That's gotta be how Ryan Fitzpatrick feels this morning. I mean, it's like Glengarry Glen Ross, and he's the machine Levine. That's how bad this has gotten. The guy goes out, he throws three touchdowns and a pretty great performance. There's no qualms. His backup comes into mop-up for garbage time. That's how well he does gets his team to second place in the AFCs for the first time in nearly a decade, and then immediately gets handed a clipboard. We're going to dig into this topic in detail in this week's AFCs Roundup podcast with one of our solid guests who covers the Dolphins. But that's got to be a kick in the groin to start your week, right? Yeah, it does. I mean, you find out that you somehow played yourself out of a job?
1: Yeah. I think Fitz (laughs) was doing pretty good.
2: He was doing well. And now you're gonna throw you're gonna throw a rookie in there.
1: Yeah, I don't know what the logic is there. I mean, they're one game behind us. They're three and three. So let's play the rook,
2: and not just the rook, but the rook entering a really difficult stretch of schedule here.
1: Well, he will start against the Rams, and then I think they don't they have the Jets after the Rams.
2: The Rams, the Chargers. No, the Jets got moved okay. down the road. So it's the Rams, the Cardinals. In the Chargers. Not ideal. Those are teams that can score in bunches, as we've seen in the last two and a half weeks.
1: Yeah, well, the Chargers are also working with a brand new, fresh quarterback.
2: I mean, if anything, that's the intriguing part of this, is that you're going to get to see Tua against... Justin Herbert. Justin Herbert. But even then,
1: poor Fitzpatrick. What does the guy have to do? <laughs> well, he'll sign somewhere. Who's going to need... Who's going to need... Let's see. Who's going to need a veteran next year to ease into a rookie quarterback next year might be the Dallas Cowboys <sighs> just saying it might be and that actually leads
2: us to the second group of people who are having a far worse week than any one of us Bills fans and that's anybody voluntarily watching the NFC East play football yes the Bills were atrocious on defense last night holy shit would I rather re-watch that game Immediately followed by our playoff loss to Houston, immediately followed by two hours of Bob Ross painting trees, then sit through a single NFC East football game. Look at. Let me articulate some of the failure to you. Through six weeks, the Eagles lead the NFC East in point differential with negative 34. Negative points! Leading the charge! The Eagles are also playing with just one first-string offensive lineman, their backup running back, their number 5, 6, and 7 wide receivers as their starters, and two offensive linemen who have no NFL experience whatsoever and weren't drafted to ever actually play the game of football. <laughs> Certainly not a starter. The Cowboys are somehow in first place with two wins and their negative 7 in average scoring margin.
1: Is this the year somebody 6-10 and 10 wins a division?
2: Oh, the Giants. The Giants aren't far behind. I mean, they have one win. They open their season with five straight losses before finally running into another garbage NFC East team to get their very first win of the season by one single point. It's like nobody actually wanted to win that game. They almost wanted it to end in a tie.
1: Well, I think uh, Ron Rivera did a riverboat run and went for two at the end of the game (laughs) to win. (laughs) And then the Washington football team that started this
2: season losing their name of choice to a disgruntled, petty fan and has now lost five consecutive football games. Five consecutive games. Chris, that almost makes what we're going through right now in a two-game slide against the Super Bowl champion a better version of last year's Super Bowl team. The Super Bowl runner-up. <laughs> that, doesn't that make you feel a little bit better?
1: Yeah, considering what I've had to watch over the last 20 years of my adult life. <laughs> One of these
2: abominations of a football team is going to have to win the division by default, even if it's with a five-win record. And when that happens, it's not only going to happen with a significant losing record, but there's going to be a nine win team somewhere else in that conference that misses out in the postseason and he has to watch those guys host a playoff game. Is this the year? Do you think this is the year that the, this NFC East could be so bad that they force the league to revisit their policy? Yeah. On division winners like hosting a playoff game?
1: Absolutely. <laughs> I
2: mean, oh, let I mean, Someone's going to be on really unhappy watching one of these shitty teams go out there and play football. Think, look at last week. I retweeted it at Rockpile Report. You can go see it for yourself. The video of that Cowboys fan losing his mind at halftime of the Cowboys game last night. Chris, he punched his TV, threw it on the floor, and then pulled out a pistol and shot it. He shot his TV! That's how angry watching NFC football makes people. What would the bills have to do for me to pull out a firearm in my home? I mean, if I haven't done it yet, what are the odds (laughs) it's ever going to happen?
1: Oh, it'll happen. It'll 100% happen.
2: We're joking, folks. I Obviously, I'm I'm very safe with my firearms. I try not to touch them. I don't touch them when I've been drinking.
1: It's not going to be one of those things where you, like... Oh, yeah, you just have it on you because you have a concealed carry. It's like you're going to go to like a hidden compartment in your ceiling in the open and just pull it out and shoot your television.
2: Well, that's never going to happen, but I'll tell you what. If one major Cowboys blowout is all it takes for people to turn firearms to their televisions, it's going to be bazookas and dynamite by the end of the season for most of these NFC East teams. If that doesn't make Bills fans out there feel a little bit better about what we're going through today— I don't know what the hell will. All right. (laughs) Now that we've lightened the mood, that brings us to our Week 7 preview. The Buffalo Bills against the New York Jets. The time, 1 p.m. Eastern Standard. The place, the Meadowlands neath East Rutherford, New Jersey. On the call, we've got Greg Gumbel and Rich Gannon. Which seems weird to me. Because of what an atrocious matchup this is.
1: Yeah, they're usually, I think they're the number two team behind Nance and Romo. So why so, are
2: they doing this game?
1: I don't know. Well, I'd have to look at the other matchups to see I mean, I'm shocked they I didn't got see screwed.
2: our boy, Spiro Dinas. I really thought we were going to get him and Anna What are they, the basement group for CBS? Yes, they are. They're probably
1: <laughs> the three or four team.
2: Well, that's what this game deserves. I mean, look at the spread. The Bills are 13 and a half point favorites. It, that, that's actually – here's what's crazy. Last night during the Chiefs game, you looked at me and said, hey, look at this, the spread for tomorrow's, uh, the spread for this weekend against the Jets is 12-and-a-half. Yeah. The Bills lost. Statistically, it was an embarrassment, and somehow we went up a point.
1: Well, I, well last the, night – The spread I just, got bigger. Yeah. Oh, I tried to get you on, on just a straight-up win last night. <laughs> you almost took the Jets. I, I that's, did. That's, that's, that's the, the
2: difference of angry, Drew.
1: That's the best time to get you on a Seagrams bet <laughs> is when you're angry, because then you have I have better odds. I tried to. I tried to. You didn't take it,
2: folks. Greg, Greg wasn't kidding. The rage that you 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 think you know,
1: and everyone thinks they have that one friend
2: who's angry while they watch sports. Do they know, Chris?
1: No. <laughs>
0: no.
2: They have no idea. The injuries to watch. For Buffalo, offensive guard Cody Ford, knee injury, left the game last night. He's week to week. I don't know that we're going to see him. That's a big one. That's something to keep your eye on. Who else, Chris, from last night got banged up?
1: Um, Your ego. (laughs) (laughs) Your soul. My pride.
2: Yeah. On the opposite side of the ball, for the New York Jets, their injury list is absurd. Let's see. Their starting tackle, Makai Becton. He was doubtful last week. Who knows if he's going to be ready to play this week. Sam Darnold didn't practice at all last week. Probably he's up in the air as to whether or not he'll practice this week. Alex Lewis, backup offensive lineman, was limited last week. They've got Blashawn Austin, John Franklin. Half these guys don't even... Brashad Perryman. Their, Their star free agent acquisition, wide receiver Brashad Perryman. Hurt with an ankle injury. Quinnen Williams has a hamstring injury. Their, their second-year defensive tackle who they expected to be a star. He's hurt. Let's see. George Fant, Jordan Jenkins, Brian Poole, Frank Gore. Literally everyone here has some sort of injury designation.
1: What's Frank Gore's uh, injury listed as? Age?
2: <laughs> oh. I mean, Chris... That right there. We're not really going to do an offensive and defensive preview of this matchup, are we? I mean, do we have to? No, we don't. This team, whether it's undisciplined play by the defense, horrific play calling, and even worse execution, or both of them in concert, this is an NFL team almost asking their opponents to kick their teeth down their throat on a weekly basis. That's it. They're begging for it. I watched the Jets kind of back and forth between another game this weekend i watched the jets play the dolphins i watched that offense with joe flacco at the helm not get a third down conversion until there was less than five seconds in the first half
1: what is that (laughs) sounds like a real winner
2: oh who's scared of that football team now, as outsiders, we know things sound bad, but every week we talk to Play Like a Jet podcast host Scott Mason over on our AFC's Roundup podcast. And when you when you dig into the storylines and statistics, even things at face value for the average Bills fan are so much worse than you think. I mean, they had the dynamic in their backfield, Chris. They had star Le'Veon Bell, they drafted LeMichael Pirine, a kid who they were gonna groom, blah, 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 blah. And then they allowed, for some reason, Joe Douglas, their GM, allowed Adam Gase to shoehorn 39-and-a-half, 40-year-old uh, Frank Orr directly into the running back room, knowing full well that he was going to ruin, ruin whatever plan they had for Le'Veon Bell there in a Jets uniform. Yeah. Where is he now?
1: Kansas oh, City. That's right. He
2: plays for a contender now. It's th- This is the type of mismanagement the statistics are hilarious. I mean, when you look at this Jets team, Chris, I just go to ESPN, just real quick. Sam Darnold has less than a th- less than 800 yards passing this season. Their leading receiver has 383 yards. I mean, <laughs> what's happening here? This team is atrocious. They're a tire fire. They're 32nd in everybody's power rankings. They are the de facto worst team in football. That's not a joke. It's actually been... Talk- what? They're, they're leading the NFL with a 110... A negative 110-point differential.
1: Sounds about right. Adam Gase tends to get blown out a lot.
2: They're being talked about, Chris, as the second... As the worst team to ever grace a football field. The worst team to ever set foot on an NFL field. The Buccaneers in 76 had that title. They were an expansion team that year, so you know how they used to. Like, do you remember when Carolina first formed? They weren't great.
1: But no, they but they, they did have them. Ray Caruth.
2: But they got some. Co- <laughs> Ray Sorry. They got some competent pieces, right? Yeah, Bill Polian, Frank Reich. Frank Reich, Bill Polian helped them build it.
1: Tim Biakabatuka. <laughs> how
2: did you? Re- you you don't know anything, but you know that name.
1: I yeah. hate you. Famed Michigan running back. I hate you so much. Tim Biakabatuka.
2: So, they, was he famed because his name was hard to write on applications for jobs after he flamed out of the NFL?
1: Probably. <laughs> <laughs>
2: so, with all of that in mind, the NFL figured out how to build expansion teams. But in the 70s, they had no clue what they were doing. And the Buccaneers in their first year of existence, is they're widely accepted as the worst team in football ever this Jets team is actually rivaling them for that title and I think the thing is they the thing that's most damning Chris they were built this wasn't an accident this wasn't an expansion thing where they said hey let's just throw some players over there so we can sell it to people
1: yeah Jets had picks they had someone built this they had picks They they had a bunch of money to spend and they blew it all
2: Look, here's what it comes down to. You've got a head coach that should be fired, but ownership won't make the move. You've got an offensive staff that's afraid to take any ownership or help write the ship because they don't want to go down with it. You remember that quote from last week's AFC's Roundup? Where Adam Gase told the press, hey, I talked to my staff. And Adam Gase went to a press conference and legitimately told the reporters, I talked to my staff... And they say that I st- we, we agreed that I'm still the right man for the play calling duties. Yeah, because nobody else wants to put their name on that. Nobody wants to touch that. Chris, if I was holding a bomb and I said, hey, do you want to hold this for me for five minutes? Do you, or do you want to help me with this? What would you say to me?
1: No, I'm good.
2: <laughs> no, I'm good. No, you, you, you look like you got it, Drew. That's exactly what's happening in New York. And now the defensive coordinator is throwing the head coach under the bus in press conferences.
1: Yeah, as he should be.
2: I mean, it's Greg Williams. Yeah. He's all class. What would you expect? Yeah. But the fact is, you are playing a team that's imploding, and, and normally this is where ownership would step in. I mean, even the Haslam's had the good, for all the things they suck at in owning the Browns, they had the good sense to step in and blow up the Browns back in, what, 2016? 2018 when Tyrod Taylor was their starter and Hugh Jackson was their head coach. Yeah. And everything was terrible. And then him and Todd Haley both got fired and somehow Greg Williams ended up with the head coach tab for like half a season. And then they hired that, whatever is whatever that doughboy was, but either way, even the Haslam's knew, Hey, this is a toxic situation. We need to step in here and nip this in the bud. And yet the ownership group of the jets is just letting this play out. Hey, it's on fire. That, that's like if you looked outside right now and you saw that your car was on fire and rather than calling the fire department, you just kept doing this podcast. Let's just pretend it's not burning. It'll be fine. So I refuse to acknowledge the fact the Buffalo Bills can lose to this football team. I don't care if it's Sam Darnold, Joe Flacco, Broadway Joe, you bring them all back. Let all three of them play. Bubby Brister. A, I don't give a shit. Ken
1: O'Brien.
2: The Bills do not lose this football game this weekend. Much to the chagrin of all the Facebook Bills fans who are angry and are talking about how we're going to lose this weekend because we're the worst team in football, blah, 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 blah. Everyone calm. Chris, what do we say all the time?
1: (laughs) Goosefraba.
2: Playing the New York Jets in 2020 is the cure for everything that ails you. We're going to watch the Bills get back to it.
1: Do they beat the spread or not, Chris? That's the only real prediction to make here. I don't know. That is quite high, but... Was it the Denver game was the only one that they came close to?
2: Oh, you know what we forgot to do? Keys to victory.
1: Wow, that's a lot of keys. Bigger the keychain,
2: more powerful the man. Here's your keys to victory. Show up on time. Get all your players to the stadium. That's it. That's it. You win the game. <laughs> Chris, your prediction for the final score.
1: Um, I, I guess a lot will play into it as the week goes on and we hear about injuries, but... I think we can cover that spread. I'll just say twenty-three to seven, Buffalo.
2: Twenty-three to seven. I say they take out all their pent-up frustrations on this beaten-down, shitty team from New Jersey. I, I think they break thirty in this game. If everyone's healthy, all their wide receivers, Gabe Davis is going to have a day. Gabe Davis is going to have more than fifty yards receiving this game.
4: And
1: sounds a like a fun. Sounds like a. a a fun thing there. I wouldn't put a Seagram's on it, though, but... Would you like to? No. Ah. No. That's...
2: <laughs> no.
1: I'm not doing that.
2: I'd pressure you into this, but you're a man in
1: love. No, and, yeah. Uh, I can't... Uh... Exactly. <laughs> plus, I, I have... I can't do anything to burst your bubble today. Yeah, plus we are six weeks into the season. I have yet to have a Seagram's.
2: I know. This is rare. Last year, you took a beating. Yeah. This year, it's all me. Yeah. It's just raining shit on Drew in yeah, terms be- of Yeah, because
1: back. I'm getting you when you're angry. Twice, T- the, uh, two of the games, the, the Rams game and the Raider game, I think we were losing, and I said, yeah, we'll win this game, Seagrams, and you took it.
2: <laughs> oh, folks, we learned a lot tonight. We learned that the Bills problems might be correctable. We learned that I am highly manipulable when I'm drunk. Hey, drunk and angry. I think angry is the key. Yeah. Angry more so than drunk. Correct. Because when I'm mad, it's like I just I see red and I put blinders on and I turn like that bull from Looney Tunes, that's just me. Yeah. <sighs> Folks, we will talk to you after we trounce the Jets, but we gotta get out of here for tonight. Huge thank you for to Greg Thompson for showing up tonight and adding some, some smart takes. Some some panache to this podcast. I'm Drew Gere, that's Greg Thompson. That's Chris Krueger, and this is your Rock Pile Report.
1: The wait is finally over. Football is back. You might not be at a game this year, but you can still be in on the action at Online. that's blue wire all one word bet online your online sports book experts
0: this is the story of the one as a maintenance engineer he hears things differently to the untrained ear everything on his shop floor might sound fine but he can hear gears grinding or a belt slipping so he steps in to fix the problem at hand before it gets out of hand